If you're thinking of an ERP project, one of the challenges that you are going to face is to have the structured process for your ERP selection. So which are the steps as part of your ERP selection process? That's what we are going to discuss in this video. Let's dive in. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hello everyone, my name is Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. We help our clients with ERP selection, digital transformation strategy, as well as ERP implementation. On that note, let's go back to today's topic, which is the top 10 steps of the ERP selection process in 2023. So now number one on our list is project initiation. And this is going to be the first step. Typically, you are going to have some sort of kickoff call, depending upon whether you are working with a consulting company who is managing the whole selection process, or you are doing on your own. Either ways, you have to follow these steps. So as part of the project initiation, along with the kickoff call, what you need to do is you need to build the project charter. And project charter is super critical. Sometimes when you look at the project charter, that could come across as boilerplate, but depending upon the quality of the project charter, in terms of what you are trying to accomplish as part of the project charter, if you don't have anything documented, then it might be difficult when you are going to struggle with the conflicts when you have to make any sort of decisions. So you don't sort of have the roadmap that you can show to your team in terms of why you are making certain decisions. And that's why as part of the project charter, you need to capture project vision, the specific vision and anything that you are going to capture Make sure you guys follow the SMART criteria, which is going to be S is uh, specific, M is measurable, A is going to be achievable, R is going to be realistic, and T is going to be timely. So you need to make sure that the objectives that you are going to capture follow the SMART criteria. And if they don't, then you are probably going to get vague results if your requirements are going to be vague, if your objectives are going to be vague. Then the next thing that you need to capture as part of this is that's going to be your definition of uh, success KPIs as is in 2B. And if you don't have these KPIs captured, then it might be harder to measure the definition of success. It might be harder for people to understand why they are investing so much money, why they are investing so much effort. So just to motivate people, you need to capture this and to be able to communicate why you are making changes to their workflows, why you are implementing this uh, project. The other elements that you need to capture as part of Project Charter are going to be budget timeline risks. Uh, everything that you are going to do as part of your project management, but documenting that is going to help you in building the consensus, in resolving the conflicts among your teams. The other thing that you are going to capture as part of project initiation is going to be stakeholder metrics. As part of a stakeholder metrics, you are building the RACI chart where you are identifying the process owners, uh, you know, who is going to be making decisions, what is going to be your escalation hierarchy. Let's say if the teams are not cooperating or they are not listening or the project is not moving at the speed that you would like. 
So you need to have all of that documented. You need to have the structured process for that. Then you need to identify the core team who is going to be the core team that is going to be working along with uh, your steering committee, which is going to be involved only from the strategic decision making when you are going to have any sort of uh, budget or scope uh, issues. And then you are also looking at the communication plan in terms of how each of the stakeholders as well as team is going to be communicated. Then the other elements that you're looking at as part of initiation that you need to capture is going to be data collection, data analysis, and you need to perform some sort of data collection that you are going to be utilizing for your initial questionnaire that you are going to build to design your workshops. And if you don't have that, then you might not be as informed. The stakeholders might lose interest because the questions that you are going to ask, they might feel that you should have done your homework. So that's where the data collection is going to be super handy, uh, which is going to be, you know, in understanding, just analyzing, okay, how each department is doing their processes as of today. It could be simply looking at chart of accounts, queues, um, you know, whatever data elements you have that are going to drive your ERP implementation. You need to do some sort of collection analysis based on that form question and that is what is going to drive the downstream steps on this list so that's number one now number two is the requirement workshops so once you have your initial questionnaire then what you are going to do is you are going to form the requirement metrics and that is going to be based on the requirements that you have identified. It could be just an hypothesis. In most cases, you are going to have roughly about 200, 300 different requirements that you are trying to attack. But here, as part of this matrix, you want to have as many requirements as possible because the whole idea is to really facilitate discussions with your stakeholders that are going to be participating in these workshops. Then as part of this discussion, then you are going to be discussing the boundaries where each of the process is going to be hosted in which system is going to be hosting them. So you are capturing all of that. Then you are also having sort of the data boundary discussion in terms of, okay, who's going to be hosting the master data? Who's going to be responsible for that? Who is going to be augmenting the data journey? How, if there is going to be any sort of back and forth, with respect to that data. So you are looking at all of that. Finally, you are looking at identifying the critical success factors and critical success factors are going to drive pretty much everything from this point forward, which is going to be your RFP, which is going to be your the selection. And based on the critical success factors, you are sort of going to be building the alignment among teams. And for the most part, the critical success factors that you are going to have are going to be the ones that are going to make or break your implementation. If you are going to capture more than 10, that means you are going to probably miss some of the factors that should have been reviewed during your demo, as well as vendors are probably going to be covering the easier ones and they are going to be missing out on the critical ones. That's why it's very, very, very important to focus only five to 10 different critical success factors that you can really hit hard during your RFP process, during your evaluation process. And you need to make sure everybody understand that everybody agrees with these critical success factors. They are not creating 30, 40, 50 critical success factors. If they have that, then obviously you are going to have issues during your selection as well as your implementation. And the final piece as part of this step is going to be phased roadmap. You need to build some sort of plan in terms of how you are going to be executing the project. And uh, obviously the business case is going to be there as well for each of these steps. So that's what is phased roadmap. Now, this is the number two step. 
Now, number three step is business process re-engineering workshops. And these are different from your requirement workshops. In the requirement workshop, yes, you have uh, the agreement from the users on those requirements. You have agreement overall in terms of the process boundaries as well as data boundaries. Um, you have agreement on the critical success factors. But then if you don't visualize the processes, they might be making assumptions in their head and they just cannot visualize how these decisions are going to impact their workflow, how they are going to fire back. So the goal of business process re-engineering workshop is going to be to develop the language with the business users. For the most part, they are going to be super comfortable with the as-is processes. And once you get them talking about that, once you are going to visualize that, then they are going to understand the language that you are trying to communicate. If you are going to do this right inside the system, it might be very confusing for them because obviously these guys are not using the systems on a daily basis. So once you develop that language and then you are going to translate the same map in your 2D state as well, and that is going to help them understand how their workflows are going to get impacted. And that can help them visualize and forecast any sort of risks, issues that they might see from their perspective. And they are going to talk about that. So that's why the business process re-engineering workflows are going to be super critical. Now, how much time do you want to spend in the business process re-engineering? Because you are probably going to get 200 to 300 different processes as part of your dictionary. Even if you utilize a consultant, who might be reutilizing these maps from their previous projects, still they still have to invest a significant amount of time in tailoring those, and that could drive the cost. It might take a couple of weeks to a month uh, or two months in building the consensus on these maps. So how much you want to invest in the business process re-engineering is up to you, but the more you are going to invest, the fewer surprises you are going to find during your implementation phase and the more success you are going to get from your project. But the other thing that you need to make sure is sometimes when people develop these process maps, they don't understand that the maps are going to have different perspectives. The things that your technical teams care for is going to be very different from what users care for. Typically users are going to have far more details overall in terms of their processes and those are going to be used as the training workflows. So you might need to develop two different versions in terms of what is going to be most relevant from the technical team perspective, as well as from the implementation perspective, uh, as well as what is most relevant for the users. So this is the third step for the ERP collection. Now, number four step is the data re-engineering workshops. And similar to your processes, if you don't clean your data, if you are not going to visualize the data models, how data is going to change, and what changes do you need to make because of these data changes? Whenever you are going to make any sort of changes in data, that is going to impact customer workflows, that is going to impact the processes, that is going to impact the reconciliation workflows. So you really need to visualize the data models and you need to understand all of these issues. And that is not possible unless you develop the as is and, and to be model in terms of what needs to be changed from the data perspective. And these are also going to be data rollout discussions because if you don't discuss that, then you don't know what customers will be willing to adjust. Sometimes these data elements could be the SKU numbers or the serial number that might be going on your packaging. Now, if you are changing the format of that, or if you are changing something related to that, then you need to get agreement from your customer. You need to analyze whether that is possible or not. If they are coming back with that number for the downstream processes, that may not be possible. And if that is not possible, you need to create your architecture. You need to create your solution based on these boundaries. 
So that's why this discussion sort of helps set the expectations in terms of what is possible and what are going to be the constraints of your project that you need to keep in mind to be able to design the solution because that is going to drive your ERP selection. So here as part of this, you are building the master data governance models. You are building the data cleansing strategies in terms of what needs to be cleaned, what is possible to be cleaned, and but most importantly, you are also building the reconciliation workflows, how your reconciliation workflows are going to be impacted, and the new system should not be creating more work because that is very common as well, especially if you are not going to be designing the reconciliation workflows for each of the processes and each of the data sets. So make sure you have some sort of documentation for the reconciliation workflows across the system boundaries. It's not just the ERP discussion in this particular case, even though the project may be just for ERP, but you need to analyze this across the enterprise architecture how many other systems you may have in your architecture, whether you have WMS, TMS from one vendor, multiple vendors, it doesn't matter. You have to analyze reconciliation workflows in the S is state as well as in the 2B state. So that's number four. Now, number five on our list is the enterprise architecture development. And if you're not developing the enterprise architecture as part of your selection process, you might find a lot of surprises. And those surprises are going to be primarily around the integration or they are going to be with reconciliation workflows. And a lot of selection consulting firms that we have in the market or the way companies are going to do the ERP selection, they are only looking at from the lenses of ERP, hey, I am simply going to replace this component and going to hope that this is going to work. But sometimes that could create a lot more work, even though the technology is going to be fancy, you are not going to get any sort of business results unless you design the enterprise architecture. Enterprise architecture is also going to help, you know, set the expectation in terms of what business users are trying to um, accomplish from the project and the technical teams should have the right expectation. So that alignment is critical for the project and that is not possible unless you document your enterprise architecture, you identify all of different fields that need to be mapped across the system boundaries. During your selection phase, you need to have at least some understanding of how you are going to build this whole solution, how you are going to be integrating how your workflows are going to be set up. And then other than that, you are also looking at, you know, how your departments are going to be interacting with each of the systems. Are they fine? If you are pushing that your customer service need to use ERP from today onwards, they need to understand how their life is going to be in the 2B architecture. So this uh, exercise is going to help them visualize, understand in how their life is going to be changed. But most importantly, why this change is necessary, why they need to use the ERP. Because if you give them an option, they are always going to feel that, you know what, I am using my standalone app that makes my life easier. I'm going to use that. But they don't understand that you are going to get substantial master data issues, substantial reconciliation issues downstream. And that could drive the cost, even if it is great for them, but it might not be as great for the other departments. Then obviously the architecture is going to have the, the architecture for the system as well as technology state as well. That is not as critical, but you still have to document and all of these things move together, whether you talk about process, data, as well as system. So you need to document that. So that's number five. Number six step that we have is the RFP development. As part of RFP, you are designing some sort of evaluation framework in terms of what 
approach that you are going to follow when you are going to evaluate these vendors. Uh, RFP uh, could be very tricky to write as well. Sometimes when you are going to have very simplistic scenarios that are going to un be unnecessary from the selection perspective, they might not be as critical. Sometimes vendors are not even going to compete in these RFP because they are going to feel that they are going to waste their time. The sales cycle is very long. In general, they are very selective about the opportunities, especially the good vendors. So you want to make sure that you are only identifying the right critical success factors that is going to drive the selection as well as the implementation. So the other things that you need to do as part of your RFP development is when you are going to ask them to for the RFP, they are going to have uh, the written responses. So you are evaluating those responses and initial hypothesis that you had based on uh, different selections when you approach them, then you are going to be revising all of those hypotheses that you have uh, for each of the solution, you are performing the gap analysis as well, um, you know, as part of this step. And that gap analysis may be revised in the future step too. So that's number six. Now, number seven is going to be vendor demonstrations. And as part of the vendor demonstration, you are looking at number one, you need to provide some sort of a script, and the script is going to set the expectations from the demo perspective. Otherwise, vendors are going to talk for two hours about the things that might not be as critical and then you might run out of time of the critical issues that you really wanted to hit on so it's always important to set the expectations that this is how um, you want the demo to be structured but give them some room as well don't be too strict in terms of how they can structure the demo because you might learn things during the demo that you did not think of so give them some room in terms of how they want to design the demo but you need to have at least some structure from the demo script perspective on the points that you are really trying to hit on and what matters to you and what you are trying to get out of the demo that you need to communicate now how they are going to deliver how they are going to show it's really up to them but you still need to set the expectations then what you need to do is you need to reach the vendors and it's always good to have the documentation so that you know you are not wasting time in the repetitive details so so you might want to document that when you send to vendors so uh, you might want to just have just one documentation that you are sending to everybody if somebody asks for the questions you might want to update that so that's going to save a lot of time for you but then in this step you are also organizing the demos and you are talking to the vendors so that's number seven now number eight on our list is the vendor scorecards as well as the fit gap analysis so as part of this step you are updating the vendor scorecards based on the demos you are building consensus with the team in terms of how they are feeling with each of the solutions you are performing fit gap analysis you are identifying the risk factors of each of the solutions and you want to make sure that team is completely aligned with respect to uh, the solution as well as the critical success factors there might be cases where you might need to revise the critical success factors you might need to review things that you did not forecast originally you might see things uh, during the demo you might discover things during the demo that may be more critical now so it's going to be ongoing exercise this is not set and done exercise you still have to evolve your vendor scorecards the fit gap analysis as you move along with the process so that's number eight <laughs> Now, number nine on our list is SOW and contract negotiation. So as part of this step, you are looking at 
user license XRP cost analysis that you need to do in terms of how that is going to impact the implementation. And this is where your architecture is going to be really handy because you are not only looking at the licensing of ERP because licensing of ERP may drive licensing of some of the other systems. For example, let's say if you have any sort of integration technology as part of the mix, you might need to think about that. You need to perform the TCO and ROI analysis as part of this and then contract analysis is going to be super critical as well. Then you are finally negotiating with the vendors as part of this step. So that's number nine. Now, number 10 on our list is the implementation planning. As part of the implementation planning, you are putting together a plan. So based on the requirements, based on the architecture that you have had, now you are looking at the specific user stories, how they are going to be scheduled in each of the sprint that you might have. So the better analysis that you are going to do in your upfront process, the more qualified your plan is going to be and the fewer surprises you are going to get during the implementation phase. And that's why that upfront prep work is super critical. That's what is going to give you very qualified user stories. The developers are going to be confident in quoting the time, right amount of time that they are going to take in developing, configuring, testing these user stories. Then the second thing is the quality assurance plan and test cases. Now, if you don't have your process dictionary, if you don't have the processes analyzed, as part of your requirement map, the quality test cases that you are going to capture, sometimes you might not even document that and you might find a lot of surprises after going live and that could be very expensive. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's very important to have that quality assurance plan in terms of what you are going to be testing and what is going to be the expectations from the system. And if you don't have this documented, if you are not providing the framework for your users, they might simply ignore the testing, they might claim that they have tested, but they might not do that. And that's why having that framework is really important. Make sure you give them the expected results and the, the actual results. Uh, ask them to document the time, ask them to provide some sort of screenshot so that you can see what they have tested. The more defined framework you are going to uh, follow for your testing, the more uh, streamlined your implementation is going to be, the fewer surprises you're going to find. Then the other things that you're looking at is the risk management as well as the mitigation plan, you are going to make a lot of assumptions during your selection process. So here, what you are looking for is identification of all of those risks and mitigation plans in terms of how you are going to attack them. With ERP implementation, you are going to always have surprises, but if you don't document these things, then uh, you will have a lot more risks uh, later on. So it's very important to identify all of those risks and the decisions that you have made uh, you know, for those risks as well. And that is going to set the expectations from your steering committee as well that, okay, we were trying to simplify, the plan did not work. So now we need more money, uh, you know, for the revised plan. Um, so it just helps with the communication with your executive team. They are also going to feel far more confident that you sort of know what you are doing. Then uh, the other elements that are going to be as part of implementation planning, this is also going to be your resource planning. You need to analyze your internal resources, the consulting resources, as well as if you have any other third parties, you need to analyze all of those. You need to figure out, okay, if any vacation plans are going to be there. Typically, that is always going to be a surprise uh, once you get into the scheduling, the vendor resources are not going to be available. So you need to analyze, okay, are they utilizing part-time resources, full-time resources, and all of these decisions could have pros and cons in terms of the cost scope. So you need to analyze all of that and put together a plan that is going to be 80, 90% accurate 
so that again you don't go over budget by 2x 3x during the implementation phase then the other element that we have is the current system refactoring plan which is going to be super critical as well because that is going to define your rollout and if you don't have that identified in terms of how you are going to refactor your current systems how you are going to refactor your data sets then you might find a lot of surprises uh, during the implementation phase then you have the implementation readiness prep as well as the change management plan that you need to have uh, you know before you start the actual implementation so that's it for this list if you enjoyed this video we publish these videos on a weekly basis so you might want to hit the subscribe button on youtube this podcast is also available on apple google as well as spotify in the audio form so you might want to check that and you might hit the you might want to hit the subscribe button there we are also going to include the detailed article that is going to have much deeper analysis for these process steps so you might want to check that and if you have not checked our digital transformation report for 2023 we are going to include the link so check that out on that note thanks everyone for tuning in i'll see you in the next one Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.